Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Is anybody excited to be here today? Anybody? Yeah, we are glad that you are here, and uh, it's a great day to be at church, isn't it? Come on, why don't you look at the person next to you and say, I'm so glad I get to sit next to you at church today. <laughs> hey, one thing I want to mention really quickly before we get into the word, get into the message today. You've probably heard us talk a lot about the Church Center app, and uh, we just wanted to kind of come back around to that because it really does encompass everything that we do as a church. All of our groups are on there. Um, all of our events, our conferences, um, there's a church calendar on there, ways that you can give on there. Really, almost everything that we have available that you'll need to sign up for or be a part of or want to get information on really will be on the app. And so we would uh, highly recommend that you download that. I know many of you already have and you've already been using it. But just want to let you know about that because there is a way to get just all kinds of information and a calendar of events and all those things that are coming up. And it's all in there. You can go back and watch the services in the app. Uh, there's just a lot of great stuff in there uh, that we want you to have access to. So I want to make you aware of that. And today, um, I want to pray for another church in our community. Today, we're going to pray for His Place Fellowship. So let's say a word of prayer together. God, we thank you. Lord, we have the opportunity to even sit in this seat right now and be in your word together, worship together. Lord, we thank you for uh, many great churches in our community who are reaching people for you. And we thank you for His Place Fellowship. We lift up their congregation, their pastor, their leadership. Lord, we just thank you that your blessing is on them as they build your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, last weekend we had Michael Grant here. Come on, wasn't that so good last weekend? Yeah? It was a huge blessing to us. And uh, I got to spend a couple of days with him. Uh, after Sunday before he had to go back to the airport and so much so much encouragement so much wisdom um, one of the things that he went on and on about was just um, was, was you guys just the church and what God is doing uh, right here and I, I really hope that we don't ever take it for granted it's easy to uh, it's easy to just make it routine and forget that God is moving and forget that God is working, and forget that God is restoring, and that things are actually happening. And uh, I don't want us to ever to ever miss that. And I also want to let you know, um, it's not too late if uh, if you want to go on the mission trip. I know Michael was here last weekend, and uh, are right here at the first of March. We're going to be getting all of the airline tickets and finalizing a lot of things. Um, but we want you we want you to go. We don't want you to miss the opportunity to go. The initial deposit is only two hundred and fifty dollars. And that reserves your spot, gets the, the flights booked, all of that thing rolling. Um, and then the remaining amount is 2000 total, but that includes everything. That's airfare, that's food, that's ministry projects, that's uh, everything we're going to be doing while we're there is all included in that. And uh, the rest of that can be paid out over time as it, as it comes to you or if you're doing fundraising things or whatever it is. Uh, but we don't want you to miss the opportunity. And this really is kind of a last call for everyone who wants to uh, go on this year's mission trip. It's July 5th through the 12th. We'd love to have you be a part. Um, right now, it, it is turning, it's looking like right now it's going to be our largest missions team that we've ever had uh, from the church here, which is incredible. It, it's, a, it's such a blessing when people begin to get the heart of, it's not about us. It's not just about staying in these four walls, but we can actually go into another part of the world and make an impact there. And uh, love on kids. We're going to be at an orphanage there and doing some projects, VBS for the kids, loving on them. It's going to be a great time. So if you want to, if you want to be a part of that, um, you can go on that Church Center app that I was just talking to you about. And uh, if you click on the sign-ups tab at the bottom, you'll see Mission Trip. Um, it'll be in the list there. And you can click on that and pay the initial deposit to get your name uh, registered for the trip. We'd love to have you go. All right, so two weeks ago, we began a new series uh, we are going through the book of Colossians together. want to encourage you again, if you have been, continue to do it. If you haven't been, 
Uh, you can start today if this is your first time here and you didn't know anything about this, and you can begin today. That's totally fine. But we, when we go through a book of the Bible as a church, we love to, uh, we love to read a chapter a day, really. You can read more than that but at least a chapter a day, and you'll have read through Colossians several times while we go through this. And the reason we do that is because the Holy Spirit can actually speak to you as you sit down and read, read the Word of God. And uh, we want that for you. In fact, um, what I'm going to say today is going to be what I feel like the Lord put on my heart as I was reading through Colossians 2. But man, the Holy Spirit may speak something specific to you that we don't even talk about today, and you get that out of your own personal time with the Lord and so I would highly recommend that you do that. It's a part of us growing in our faith and, and drawing closer to Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being above everything. And we said things like, in Colossians 1, you see things like he's supreme and he existed before everything. He holds everything together. And uh, you can always go back and, and re-watch the messages or listen on the podcast. Today, as we jump into chapter 2 together, um, for the sake of putting a title on it, I've titled the message this, Accept, Follow, Grow. Accept Jesus, follow Jesus, grow in Jesus. And so chapter 2 begins this way, and we'll break this down into a few verses at a time, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll get through chapter 2 today. So verses 1 through 5 says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want, which blows my mind, I just got to pause there for a moment, <laughs> that Paul would say, I am agonizing for people who have never met me but I know we're coming to faith in Jesus. And man, I just wonder, like sometimes I just have to check my heart. You know what I'm saying? Like, am I concerned about the things that God's concerned about? Am I thinking about the people in a different country that are coming to faith in Christ today and willing to pray for them, not even knowing who they are? You know, because you see this in Scripture all the time. But anyway, so I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him, lie hidden in, all, in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. I love um, just how Paul starts off, which... This would have been a letter, so he really didn't start anything off. It was a continuation from what we talked about last weekend or two weekends ago in chapter 1. But he, he talks about this agonizing for these people and for another church and for many believers that have never met him personally. And then he starts going through things about treasures of wisdom and knowledge being hidden in Christ and not being deceived by well-crafted arguments. And I began thinking, I wonder how many of us have ever encountered moments in time, maybe people in our lives uh, that had a well-crafted argument against, uh, against Jesus or against the true gospel or the simple gospel, if you want to say that. And I don't know if you're like me, if you've ever encountered someone like that or some argument, uh, even on social media. Come on, how many of you know we like to argue on social media? It's probably not the best place to argue. I'll just throw that out there. But um, we, we encounter moments like this where uh, there are things that seem to be deceptive. Um, maybe you've encountered a person at some point that told you things that had you convinced of something and later on you realized it wasn't even really true. We experience this in life. Or, or something that was so crafty in the way that it was said that they had us believing that maybe we were wrong. And that's what's really going on here is there is a group of people, there, are, there is a different teaching that's trying to come in, that is trying to convince these believers that what you have been taught is not the full truth. It's not everything that you need. It's Jesus plus. We talked about this last, uh, the last time in, in chapter 1. That it's Jesus plus. You don't need that. you got to have a special knowledge. You don't need that. you got to have special wisdom. You don't just need Jesus. It's, not, it's too good to be true. And some of us have felt that way before. And we've been tempted to add, try to add things to Jesus, like be made right by all of the things that we're doing and not just what Jesus has done for us. And whether it was about faith or belief in Jesus or anything else in your life, Paul's saying, listen, I'm telling you some things because I don't want you to be deceived. Even if things are well-crafted, even if things sound, come on, you ever had something that kind of sounded like it might be right, but then when you searched it out, you're like, hmm, that's not really right. And uh, the way to... The way to um, 
and maybe you know this, but if you've ever worked in a bank or, or handled money or anything like that, the way to know if something is counterfeit is not to study all the things that are counterfeit. It's to study the thing that's actually true, the right thing. And when you see the right thing enough and you've studied it enough, then you'll be able to recognize something that's fake. Right? So we need to be in God's word, studying God's word and knowing what the truth is to the point that when something is said or something is posted or something is sent or something is, you know, comes across the news or whatever, that we can recognize, is this the truth of God's word or is this something that our culture is trying to come up with? Because this is what was going on here. There was, there, was a different, there was a group of people that came in and they were like, oh, no, we got to change this, we got to shift this. And they're, they're crafting things in a way that makes it sound like it's right. Makes it sound like it ought to be the way that it ought to be. But we have to actually know what the truth is so that we can recognize when something is not the truth. And Gnosticism taught that the truth is hidden deep inside of you. right? And don't we have a version of this today? goes a little something like this. You need to find your truth. You need to find your truth. I was listening a little while back. I was listening to a comedian who, uh, who was kind of poking at this a little bit, a Christian comedian. He said, we're, we're saying things like, tell me your truth. Tell me your truth. What is your truth? What is your truth? And, and I just feel like I came to tell somebody today that it really isn't important what your truth is. It's important what the truth is. And a lot of us are basing our lives on what we think our truth is. Yeah. This is what I think is right. This is what I think might be, you know, what might be accurate. This is what I think, like, this is, this is my opinion. And there's nothing wrong with opinions most of the time, <laughs> some of the time. But we have to know what the truth is because otherwise we'll begin to believe a lie and we won't even know that it's a lie. We'll begin to do things out of, out of obligation or do things from a perspective or from a, a position that really isn't even the position that Jesus wanted us to be doing things out of. There's only one place where, where wisdom and knowledge and truth are hidden, and it's in Jesus. We need to know the truth, not our truth. And, and after saying these things, Paul explains why he said them, and we already kind of talked about this a little bit. He says, so you won't be deceived. Like you need, to, you need to know these things so that you won't be deceived. You need to know the truth. And even, he says, even by arguments or opinions that sound good or even can be convincing because they're well-crafted, right? You need, to, you need to know what the truth is so that you can recognize what's not the truth. You need to know, like, this is, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for you. This is the gospel, not this plus other things. And here would be my encouragement uh, to myself and to you is always go with the word of God. Above anything else, above anything that anyone else says, above, I would even say, like, this is why I would encourage you to read through Colossians on your own. Because number one, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you individually, but you don't need to just show up to church and be like, well, that's what the pastor said. That's what he said. Right? Like, you, you need to be in the word of God. You need to be studying the word of God. You need to know for yourself, listen, you, you basing your faith off of what I say is only going to take you so far. You basing your faith off of what I know and what I'm presenting to you, that, you need a faith of your own. You need to know the truth for yourself. You need to be in God's word for you and not just be relying on somebody else to present it to you in a way that maybe convinces you of something. We, we live in a culture of opinions, and we live in a culture of everyone doing what they feel is right. We live in a social media culture that gives everyone a platform to say whatever they want, and people are confused about what's true because everybody has an opinion, and everybody has a perspective, and we need to know what is actually true so that we can recognize the things and filter out the things that are not true. Are you with me? People's opinions are not most important. God's word and the gospel is what's most important. And then Paul ends, verse 5, he commends them for be, having strong faith and living like they should. And then he goes on in the next two verses and he says this, And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong 
in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness, right? So accepting Jesus and following Jesus, I, I think sometimes we accept Jesus, but we never make the decision to follow Jesus. So this would look like I, I, want, to be, I want to be saved, but I don't want to be led, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want to have. But I don't want to. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I I want God to save me, but then I want to live however I want to live, and not based on the truth. This is this is a dangerous place to be. Because this is the place where you start coming up with your own truth. And what you think and what I think is right and what I think it should be like and what I and how I think it should go and what I think, you know, needs to be said and all of these things. And we need to know what the truth is and we need to let our roots grow down in that. And here's here's an important truth that I think we overlook a lot of times is that once you've accepted Jesus, you need to start following Jesus. Once you've accepted Jesus, you need to start following Jesus. We've. We have, um, I want to say dumbed down, but that's probably not the right term, so don't get too offended. But to just, well, I believe, I believe. There's so much more to the word believe than we even realize, number one. If you study the word believe, it's about trust, it's about faith, it's about completely trusting in Jesus. But we have stopped at, well, I believe, I believe, but we don't follow. And Jesus, when he was calling disciples, what did he say? He said, you need to come follow me. Come follow me. Like, do as I do. Speak as I speak. See the world the way that I see the world. Like, this is what you're going to learn as you follow me. Verse 7 is one of my favorite verses. It says a couple of things, and we'll put these on the screen. It says, let your roots grow down into him, talking about Jesus, and let your life be built on him. And to better understand the importance of these things, I want to look at a few other verses. The first ones are in Matthew 13. Jesus is telling the parable of the seed, or the parable of the sower, right? That the seed is sown, there's different types of ground, you're probably familiar with this. And then he's explaining it to his disciples in verses 20 and 21. He says, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word says that there are people who will hear the truth of, of God, they will hear about Jesus, and they will accept it, and they'll be excited about it, and there'll be joy there, but they never took it any further than that. They never developed a root system. It was just, it was just an idea. It was just a good message. It was just a fun service. It was just I felt convicted in the moment, but when I walked out the doors, I never did anything with it. And he says, you've got to develop roots because the, the people who received it with joy and didn't grow any roots, they turned their back on Jesus or they fell away when life got hard. And my concern is that this is where a lot of people are, is that we just haven't focused enough on developing our root system in the word of God and in Jesus. That we are, we are, more excited about the idea than following and developing roots and really being grounded in what the word of God says and who Jesus is. How do you know where your roots are? I think that when the storms of life hit, it's what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? And you've experienced this before in your own life. When something difficult happened in your life, what did you, and I'll say it this way, what did you go back to? What did you go to? What did you turn to, okay? Did you, when something difficult happened, did you turn to Jesus or did you turn to drinking? When something difficult happened, did you turn to Jesus or did you turn back to substances? When something difficult happened, did you turn to Jesus or did you turn to gossip? What when, when storms hit, when things get difficult, when life isn't, you know, it, it, it's a struggle in seasons, 
that's when we discover what, what our faith is actually in. Is my faith in Jesus? In the good times, in the bad times, does it matter? I'm holding on to Jesus. Or do I fall away because I didn't have any roots? It'd be like a tree that doesn't have any root system that's just surface level. And the winds get strong enough and the tree just falls over. Because there wasn't anything to hold the tree in place. You need to have a root system. The next few verses are in Luke chapter 6. There's something else that Jesus said. Starting in verse 46, he says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Which that would be a message in its own right there. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. When we don't build our lives on Jesus as the foundation, we collapse. And here's what I want you to notice. In both scenarios, in Matthew when Jesus is talking about the soil, the seed that's being sown, in Luke 6 where Jesus is talking about obeying his teaching and actually doing what he says to do, in both situations, difficulty came. So it's not a matter of if you'll ever walk through anything hard. It's a matter of when you walk through something hard, are you on a firm foundation, dug down deep, rooted in him? That's what's going to make the difference. And Paul says you need to let your roots grow down into him. Let them grow down into him. Build your life on him, not some idea not something clever that somebody said one time, but on the word of God, on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've got to let your roots grow down into him. That's, how, that's what's going to sustain us. How do we grow deep roots and build our lives on him? I just want to give you a few practical things. Um, number one, we've been talking about this, but be in the word. If you're not in the word, uh, you just look at the example of Jesus. And when he was tempted by the enemy, when he was tempted by the devil, the word of God was his weapon. If you don't, there are, I feel like there are many of us, it's like if you got a, it's like if you got a, um, you got a new gun. This will probably be edited on the podcast. It's like if you got a new gun. <laughs> Sorry, I just offended some of you. If, if you got a new weapon, and you didn't know how to use it. And then it's like, yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to kill something to eat, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use this weapon. But I've never, I've never picked it up before. I've never dusted it off before. Every once in a while, you know, I'll look at it. This is a weapon. And when Jesus was tempted by the enemy... This was the weapon. He used the word. And we need to have the word hidden in our heart. We need to have the word in our heart to where even if I don't have this physical book in front of me, when I'm tempted by the enemy, I know the word. And that's what I'm going to use to fight him off. It's following Jesus' example. We need, we need to be in the word. The second one is to follow his teaching. James, who was the brother of Jesus, or the half-brother of Jesus, he said, he said something about, if you, just, if you just hear the word but you don't do it, check this out, you're deceiving yourselves. So it's not even a matter of being deceived by somebody else. He says, you're deceiving yourself. If you hear the word, but you don't do what it says. We just read in Luke 6 where Jesus said, why do you call me Lord? And you don't do anything that I tell you to do. In other words, that would imply in my mind that that's not Lord. In other words, Jesus is saying, why do you call me Lord? Because I'm not your Lord. You don't, you don't take my guidance. You don't listen to, like, you're not applying my word. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, like, 
I want to actually be Lord of your life because that's where you're going to be most fulfilled. That's where your roots are going to go down the deepest. That's where you're going to have a solid foundation that no matter what comes your way, you'll still be standing. And you'll recognize my faith was in Jesus. And that's why I'm still here. And I didn't fall away like somebody else did or whatever the case might be. Obey the word. Follow his teachings. I think worship with other believers at church. I don't think we, I don't think we completely... Um, I don't think we completely comprehend how important this is right now. And I think sometimes we treat it, I think sometimes we treat it a little too casually. That this is actually a big deal. That you've heard the saying, like, the building is not the church, and that is true. That you are the church, that I am the church. But the church has always been coming together. I think about two of the disciples whenever they were being uh, they were being basically threatened. And when they leave, they get released and they go back. Where did they go? They didn't go off by themselves. They went back to the other believers and they all prayed together. They were constantly gathering. We did a, a sermon series a few years ago on the word devoted. It was our word for the entire year. And we looked at Acts chapter 2, I think it's 42 through 47, where it talks about all the things they were devoted to. And one of them is that they were constantly meeting together. Because it's a big deal. Like there, there's, there's, there are things happening when we gather together that we, that we can't even see. We can't even comprehend, even in the spiritual realm, what, what is happening whenever we're gathered together as believers. Serve alongside other believers. You know, we have serve days coming up and multiple teams you can get on here. There's, there's, man, there's not anything better than Growing in your faith because you're around other people and you're serving, you're, you're giving of your gifts, you're giving of your talents. Gather, gather in groups. We have a semester of groups going on right now, and I would say it's not too late. You're like, well, Pastor Gabe, we're a month in. It's not too late. Some of you have been like, well, I'll wait till June. I'll wait till June. That's a long time to wait. Other people have been growing for the next nine weeks. While you're waiting on June. I love you. <laughs> oh, is it all right if I just say it? How some of you are like, no, it's not. Chapter 2 continues. He goes on, verses 8 through 10. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking or from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For if Christ lives in all the fullness of God in a human body, so you are also, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. I wonder how many times we've been captured by things that sound good or things that humans or the world has come up with instead of what comes from Jesus and what comes from the Word of God. Isn't this so easy to do, though? If you're not really grounded, if you really don't have roots in Jesus and in the Word, it can be easy, and here's why I think it can be easy to be deceived or to be captured by other things is because we have more information at our fingertips than we've ever had before in the history of the world. So you can click on Facebook and read all of these things and all these opinions and what's going on. You can click on a news app. You can watch the news. You can, like we have, we have more exposure to information than we've ever had before. So more than ever before, maybe we need to be grounded in the Word of God. So that when we are, like, and I'm not against the information, I access the information too. But when we're, when we're exposed to this information, we're able to discern, I'm not going to be captured by that, because that's not the truth of God's Word. I'm not going to be led away by that, because that's not the truth of God's Word. I'm not going to conform to that, because that's not what God's Word says. And we've got to be grounded in it. I think that it's so important for us to be on guard against uh, these things, being captured by something. Because here's what I've discovered and what you probably know to be true as well. Whenever we feel like we have uh, learned something or we know something, uh, we like to tell people, don't we? Anybody like to tell? You learn something new, you want to tell somebody? Right? You don't want to just keep it to yourself. You're just like, oh, you know, I got this revelation or I just found out this new information. It's like, I got to go tell somebody. And if we're not careful, if we're, if we're not 
if we're being misled by something, then it has a tendency to spread. And we start and, and we start thinking things like, oh, well, maybe that is well, maybe that is right. Well, maybe that is true. Well, maybe that, you, have you ever done that in your life? You get around people and you're having conversation, and then you go home and you're like, I don't know. Maybe we have it wrong. Maybe this is the right thing. Maybe that is the thing. And you, like, it's important for us to pay attention to. And Paul says, I want you to be captured by all these other things because you know the truth. You were taught the truth. This is what brought you into relationship with God, was the truth. And now this is being presented to you, and this is what's happening here. This is being presented to you, and Paul says, don't pay any attention to that. Don't be captured and misled by that. Remember what is true. Remember what is true. Remember what you've been taught. Our focus has to be on God's Word and on the Holy Spirit working in us so that we're not captured by thoughts and opinions and other philosophies we have to be rooted so that we don't get blown around and then to really drive this point home i think paul uh, he says this he says that jesus is god right why should we value what jesus has done above any other philosophy or theory or anything else that humans can come up with it's because every part of god is in jesus we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where jesus is asked the question can you show us the father and he says I've been with you all this time, and you're still asking me to show you the Father. He says, look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, this is what the Father looks like. This is what the Father does. I don't say anything that the Father doesn't tell me to say. I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. I am showing you the Father. I am God. And when we're united with Jesus, we're made complete. And this is a word that can mean to be fulfilled, to be filled all the way up. We're made complete in union with Jesus, what God wants to accomplish in us is only completed, it's only fulfilled through being united with Jesus. So we've got to be a part of his body, allowing him to be Lord and King in our hearts and in our lives. And then verses 11 through 15, he goes on, he says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And so if you're familiar with, in the Old Testament, God's people, there was a cutting away, and it was how they were identified as his people. It was something that he had commanded them to do. This is what you are to do. And so it became this thing, it became this tradition. This is what we do. This is what the people of God do. And Paul equates uh, equates baptism with a spiritual circumcision. In other words, a cutting away of the old. It's where, where Paul would say the old life is gone and the new life has come. It's been cut away. I've been crucified with Christ. Like that old me is gone and now the new me is alive. It's this significant symbolic thing. And I would just say, um, I would just say if you've never been water baptized since you follow Jesus, since you became a believer, Man, there's no better time than right now to, to, to jump in and be water baptized and go public with your faith. Baptism isn't a work that you have to do to be saved. It's something that you do because Jesus has saved you. And it's how we identify with what he has done for us, right? We're buried. There's a burial that happens in baptism. There's a resurrection being raised to life that happens in baptism. And it's a significant thing. We were dead because of sin but we are made alive because of what Jesus has done for us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead raises us to new life in Jesus. And I love what these verses say about what Jesus did for us because these are some powerful statements, some important statements, some statements that ought to make you clap your hands, that ought to make you wake up in the morning and thank God, that ought to make you like live your life differently. Things like, he made us alive. In other words, you were dead. There was no way for your spirit to come to life except through Jesus. What Jesus did for you, and you receiving it and accepting it, you're made, your spirit comes alive. 
that, that part of you comes alive. He forgave all of your sins. Come on, is anybody thankful for that? That he forgave all of your sins. That if you are in Christ right now, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you've been washed. The blood of Jesus has washed you. When you placed your faith in him, your sins were forgiven. He canceled our record of sin. You know, the Bible would say that he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. And you would say, well, how can God forget? He chooses to forget your sin. That whenever you are made alive and you are made new in Christ, God chooses to forget it. I'm not going to bring that up again. We have a tendency to bring that up again. The enemy tries to remind us of, of our past and what we've done before and all those things. But we have, to re- we have to remember, no, my sin has been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. God has chosen to forget it. I'm made new. The old me is, go- is gone, is dead. It says that he nailed our sin and our shame to the cross. I like this one. He disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. I picture it this way. He took away their weapons and ammo. And it really brings new life to, uh, in my mind, the verse that says, no weapon formed against me will prosper. How can no weapon formed against you prosper? There's no ammo. <laughs> Jesus disarmed spiritual rulers. Jesus disarmed authorities. It says he cancels our sin debt, which reminds me of Romans chapter 6, says when you were slaves to sin you were free from the obligation to do right and what was the result you are now ashamed of the things you used to do things that end in eternal doom come on anybody felt that way before i mean you stopped for a minute and you thought man why did i live my life like that for the last three years why did i make those decisions why did i go there why did i do this and it's like man i should have just been living for jesus but i love this this is the good part but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, what you're going to get paid back for sin in your life is death. It's death. But God has offered you a free gift. He sent Jesus to take your place, die for you, be raised to life again, so that you could just accept the free gift of salvation. So that you could receive forgiveness. You could receive this canceling of your sin debt. And Jesus is victorious over death. And Jesus is victorious over spiritual rulers. He's victorious over lies. He's victorious over all other authorities. He's victorious over sin. Jesus has overcome and defeated it all. What are we rooting ourselves into? That Jesus has overcome it all. He said, take heart, I've already overcome the world. I've overcome everything. In this life, you might face trouble, but I have overcome everything. So you can take heart, not in your ability, but in what I've already done. So rest in that. Jesus has overcome and defeated it all. Paul goes on, verses 16 and 17. So don't think, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. You ever felt condemned for not doing things a certain way? Not celebrating a certain way? Not not following the rules in a certain way, if I can say that? Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say, because Paul would also tell us that we don't need to abuse or take advantage of the grace of God. He says, should we, keep, should we keep on sinning because God's grace is abundant and it will cover it? And then he answers his own question. Of course not. We don't live our lives that way. We don't take advantage of the grace of God. We fall in love with Jesus more because of the grace of God. We want to do what our desires begin to change because of the grace of God. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. When we realize how kind God has been to us, even in our sinful nature, our sinful state, we're like, I, I want I to I follow you. I want different desires in my life. 
And so Paul's not talking about taking advantage of the grace of God, but trying to be a good Christian by following rules doesn't work. Like, I've got to get my way to God by being at church enough, by serving enough, by loving enough, by doing enough good deeds for people. By, I've, got to, I've got to do all the right things and do all the right things and do all the right things and do all the right things, and I'm trying to make God happy with me. Can I tell you today, God, this is what Romans would tell us, that God sent Jesus while you were still a sinner to die for you before you ever knew him, before you ever loved him, before you ever made, like before you ever started following him, before any of that happened, God said, I love them enough, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He did that before you were made right. So what makes us think that we have to work harder to get to God and receive salvation and forgiveness of our sins? Like, to, to make God proud of me and his favor, but like, I've got to do all the right things. Ephesians tells us, Ephesians 2 says that you are not made right with God by the things that you do. Why? Because then you would say, look at what I did. Look at what I did. You would boast about it, but you're made right with God by grace through faith. Yeah. You place your faith in Jesus, and he makes you right with God. Why? So that you can now do the things that were prepared for you before you were ever even born. That there were things that God had lined out for you to do before you were ever even born, and when you step into relationship with him, when you accept the free gift of salvation, now you step onto the team. And now you step into the things that God has prepared for you. And you're discovering purpose for your life. I didn't even know that God had this purpose on my life. I didn't even know this was why I had this talent or this gift. And it's because God wants me to use it in this way. And you start to discover these things about yourself so that you can do the things from a place of being saved. Not so you can be saved. It's because I'm saved, now I get to do all of these things that God wants me to do. I get to build his kingdom. I get to use my gifts. I get to give. I get to be generous. I get to love people. I get to do all these things, not to be right with God, but because I am right with God. So now I get to step into all of this in my life, and this is where fulfillment lives. This is where uh, being fulfilled in your life, this is where you're going to experience this. When you're when you're, when you're in relationship with God and you're doing the things that he's called you to do. We should be focused on always keeping our eyes on Jesus. And here's the reality. I think when we take our eyes off Jesus, we tend to fall back into a rules-based religion. Have you ever been serving God and passionate about God and loving God and you were just excited to do whatever God told you to do? Just whatever you put on my heart, I will do that, I will obey. And then you got your eyes off Jesus just a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more and now all of a sudden it became, I have to do, not I get to do. I have to do this. I have to go to church. I have to serve because it's what keeps God happy. I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do that and I have to do that. And you slip right back into this rules-based religious lifestyle because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. And when you keep your eyes on Jesus and you're continuing to follow Jesus, you get to do. You get to do all these things. And this brings me joy when I do these things. And I I, I've realized that it really is more blessed to give than it is to receive because I'm following Jesus. I realize all these things because I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. But when we start to get, get our eyes off and our attention gets on the things of the world and the things all around us and we're searching for things out here, then all of a sudden we start to feel condemned and we start to feel like, oh, I got to do this better and I got to do that better and I got to do this to get back to God. And we've talked about this before. No matter how far you walk away from God, it's always just one step back. No matter how far you have walked away from God or you feel like you've walked away from God, when you turn around, he's right there. And you don't have to earn your way back, and you don't have to do enough right things to get back. No, you just, it's like what we talked about this morning during worship. You just repent. I'm going this way. And when I repent and I turn around, oh, God's there with his arms open, ready to receive me back. It's the prodigal son, right? That he comes, he comes running to the son when the son recognizes, I need the father. I want to be, be here. It's the goodness of God. 
all of the rules that we see in the Old Testament, he says they're just shadows of a reality, but Jesus is that actual reality. He fulfilled and he accomplished it all. And only in Jesus do we have real life, do we have eternal life. Verses 18 and 19, and worship team, you can come back. He says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, as it, and, and it grows as God nourishes it. I love this picture of where he says, these, when you start to believe these things, and these people that are teaching these things, he says, they're not connected to the body. They're not connected to the body. They're trying to convince, they're trying to, he says, they're trying to convince you that there are other body parts. That God, that what Jesus has is not enough. Another way to look at it is, I, I would picture it like, you know, somebody has a rogue toe. Come on, it's like if you were to cut your toe off and your toe just ran off and started doing its own thing over here. You know what I'm saying? Like you've disconnected, you're not connected to the body. You've got to be, you won't forget that now. You've got to be connected to the body. He says, the, these people, he says, these beliefs and feeling like you got to do these things, he says, their sinful minds have made them proud and they're not connected to Christ who is the head of the body. Paul's addressing this Gnosticism, this belief system about being hypocritical, right? Saying one thing and doing another. Or this religious self-denial, you can't have fun. You know, we talked about that two weeks ago where there was this belief of, if it was physically pleasing for you, if you enjoyed it, you better not be doing it because God doesn't enjoy you enjoying it. You know what I'm saying? Like, God wants you to enjoy life, and there's not any more fulfillment in life than when you're serving God. He's, he's talking about worshiping idols, sinful thinking, pride. No, we don't need to pay attention to these types of things because these actions, these types of thinking patterns, they... Those are not connected to Jesus. They're not connected to Jesus. They're not submitted to Christ as the head. It's coming up with your own rules and your own traditions and trying to follow certain things. And it's not what God's called us to. And then chapter 2 ends with these verses. He says, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You ever been at the place in your life where you stopped and you had been doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and trying and trying and trying and then you stopped for a moment and you thought, this is not helping my desires. This is not giving me the right desires. This is not changing anything about my personal evil desires. Rules have an appearance of wisdom, but they don't work because they don't have the power to change you. You know what? This just came to me. You know what has the power to change you? Love. And I was just thinking about my own kids. Rules are not necessarily bad, but rules don't accomplish anything if there's not love. It's... It's my love for them, even in the moments when they mess up, that continues to work out these desires in their life. And this is, this is how good God is. That even, there's nobody in here perfect. Nobody in here is perfect. But how good is God? That even when you mess up, even when you mess up, that God loves you back. You may have to face consequences for the decisions that you've made, but I can tell you one thing about God, He's loving you back. He's the father in the prodigal son story that runs 
to the one who made the stupidest decision that he could make, squandered everything, finally came to his senses and said, I'd be better off being a slave in my dad's house than out here with his pigs. And while he's rehearsing his speech, ever rehearsed your speech before? Oh, I know I need to get right with God. This is what I want to say. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to approach it. He's rehearsing his speech. He gets back to his father. His father runs to him. Before he can even finish his rehearsed speech, there's hugging. There's loving. There's go kill the baddest thing we got because we're throwing a party. Because he came home. This is God. This is God. Some of you, man, I just feel in my spirit right now, some of you need to stop beating yourself up for the decisions that you've made. And all it is is the decision to turn around and go the other way. And God is standing right there. He's running toward you right now, waiting for you, waiting for you to just come home waiting for you to come up and I'm not telling you that some of the decisions you've made in the past there may be consequences there's you know th there's consequences for our actions but when you come to when you come to God he's not going to spend the rest of your life making sure that you pay for everything that you did no he wants to take all of your sin he wants to forgive all of your sin he wants to welcome you home and he wants to cast your sin as far as east is from the west and choose not to remember it anymore and that's why I believe Paul said, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the fact that he, there is truly nothing that can separate you and me from the love of God. I want you to think about this as we end today talking about following rules to try to be right with God or trying to maybe you've had maybe you have one right now you have an addiction there's a habit there's something that you know your life would be better if that thing was not in it and you've been trying and you've been just you know giving all your effort to try to overcome it and try to stop it and try to do better and this and that or whatever and as I was thinking about this passage and at the very end of this chapter but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires and I want to just ask you this question which would you rather have rules to change what you eat or power to change what you crave do, are you just trying to change what you're eating or do you want the power to actually change your desires to actually not crave that anymore now, yeah, you're going to have to put some guidelines in place, and that's what the Holy Spirit's really good at, is, is letting us know, hey, you need to get around these people, and you need to put this guardrail up, and you need to do this, because otherwise, you're going to fall back into that, because the enemy knows where you're weak. The enemy knows where you're weak. But God actually has the power. It's through His power working in us. I love Ephesians 3.20. And we quote Ephesians 3.20 a lot, but it's His power working in us, in us, that has the ability to do more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. It's working in you. So let it work. Let that power that's on the inside of you change your cravings and your desire and not just this, I know I need to do better here and I know I need to do better here. And you're beating yourself up and you're tearing yourself down and you speak more negatively to yourself than anybody else in your life and it's not helping you but God is so loving and so kind and so faithful even when you have been faithless he has remained faithful and he is one step away one step away will you stand today I want to give you this, this picture, this illustration. Anybody like to eat? Anybody like to eat? You're thinking about what you're going to eat right now after you leave church. I want you to picture a plate. Come on, you're sitting at the table and you got a plate in front of you. And you get to decide what you keep putting on that plate. You know this if, if you have kids or even for yourself. If you want to acquire a taste, do you know you can actually acquire a taste for things? 
me prove it to you. Most of you didn't like coffee the first time you drank it. But you liked how the caffeine made you feel. So you acquired a taste. You acquired a taste for it. Because I want this in my life. Whatever you've been putting on the plate consistently and eating, that's why you keep desiring it. This is why, this is why we want to get off sugar, but sugar has a hold on us because we keep feeding ourselves sugar. But you can actually change what you put on the plate, what you set before you. And at first, you're going to set it before you, and you're going to be like, oh. Well, I'm just not used to that. You ever said that before? And the next day, put it on the plate again. What are you putting on the plate? I'm putting God's word on here. I'm putting prayer on here. I'm putting community with other believers on here. And I'm going to keep eating it and eating it and eating it. And I'm going to acquire a taste. And before I know it, I'm going to look back at my life and I'm going to say, I don't even know how I did life without God. I don't even know how I did life without people. I don't even know how I did life without prayer because it is such a part of my life. I have acquired a taste for it. My desires have changed. This is what, listen to me, this is what God wants for you. Not that you would continue to try to work to get his approval, to get salvation, but that you would realize that when you place your faith in Jesus, that you were made right with God, and now everything that you do is from that position. Every work that you do is from that position. Every good deed is from that position. Every time that you're generous, it's from that position. Every person you come into contact with, it's from that position. Not to get to that position, but because you're already there. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and I just want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? What are you speaking to me right now? Thank you, Jesus. I want to invite our prayer team to come down. At the end of every service, if this is your first time here, then I just want to let you know at the end of every service, we love to have an opportunity for people to receive prayer. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't, prayer doesn't mean that you have something crazy going on in your life. We all need prayer. I mean, from time to time, we all need prayer for things. Anxiety, worry, feelings of being overwhelmed, our marriage, our kids, a job situation. I mean, you fill in the blank. From time to time, we all need prayer. And so here in a minute, the worship team is going to begin to sing this last song, and we're going to worship together. And I want to encourage you to be a part of this part of the service. We're going to lift our hands and we're going to lift our voices. We're going to worship God one last time today. But when they start to sing, if you need prayer for anything in your life, if you need prayer for anything in your life, then you just slip out of your seat and you just come down and let somebody pray for you. I felt strongly, you mentioned earlier about a repentant heart. And as I was standing down there, I got this visual of like some of you, you're like, you know what's been on your plate and it's not been helpful are beneficial it's not the things that he mentioned and maybe this time of prayer is you coming and telling someone what's on your plate because scripture says that if we confess our sins we'll be healed and I believe that God did something earlier in that moment when that opportunity was given about a repentant heart but there's also still power in confession and I could not shake it if you will maybe it's not even someone down here maybe you just need to, you know someone that you could go and say, hey, this has been on my plate. This has been on my plate, and I know it's not right. Because if I were the enemy, I'd try to get you, to convince you that I, I can figure this out. I'll conquer this on my own. I don't need anyone to know, because if they know, who knows what they'll think about me? Who knows who they'll tell? But, but there is power in confession. There is power in saying, hey, this is on my plate, because sometimes we can meet someone and say, hey, you know, that once was on my plate too, but let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you how God helped me overcome. And it is not by our power, but it is through his power so that we just confess sometimes what is on our plate that we've placed there, that we've continued to eat of. I believe, as Amanda was saying that, 
just felt in my spirit that the Lord really does want to set somebody free today. And it's just going to take a step. Just take the step. Take the step. It's so worth it. So worth it. God loves you. More than you could imagine. God loves you. So Lord, today, right now, we just tell you we love you. We just say thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for convicting us. Thank you for loving us. Lord, I pray that today, whatever our step is, that we would take that step to draw closer to you, to live in your freedom, to not go back to the bondage of sin, but to truly be free. God, I thank you for what you're doing even in this moment and what you're going to do in the next few minutes as we sing and we worship and we pray. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you to draw every person today who needs prayer for anything in their life. 